Welcome to the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. And this is on Thursday night, April 22nd, and this is also Lenin's birth date. Tonight, we will be reading Lenin on Right Opportunism. This work of Lenin, The Proletarian Revolution and the Renegade Kowski, it's like a twin sister of the state and revolution. It's really good to read one after the other. They're very complimentary. State Revolution was written before the October Revolution, and Renegade Kautsky was written after, a year later. It's very interesting to compare. Okay, now, why does he call him a renegade? Well, Kautsky at one time was Engels' super good friend after Marx died. He helped him with many, many things. He was super close to him. Also, when Engels died, he had asked Kautsky to do the fourth volume of Capital, which is called Theories of Surplus Value, and he edited it. And then, 1914, bang, he turns traitor like Gorbachev was. He's for the imperialist war on the German side against the others. So that tells you something. The word renegade is a very important word for communist. Very important. To us, renegade is the worst thing. We have a better opinion of people who never were part of our party than people who were part of our party and then left us. And the second part is they left us and then formed a campaign against us. That's what a renegade is. Dante famous Italian from the medieval period. His famous work is called Inferno. It's about hell. Dante's Inferno. He had deals with nine circles. The one that's the hottest place, the worst circle, is the ninth circle. It's the circle that deals with renegades. To us, a renegade is the worst. So bad that when renegades, we see them on the street, who at once our comrades, we walk across the other side of the street. I hope the younger generation could understand that. So anyone who was part of us and then left us and is attacking us is worse than the person never being a part of us. And we call that person the renegade. So you could imagine our feelings should be towards the recent group of renegades, and they should be spotlighted. This is not my opinion. This is what Lenin wrote about. They should be spotlighted and shown how one time they were good, and now look what they resulted in becoming. And that's what I want to mention, that word renegade is very important. A little background on Karl Kautsky. He was born in Prague of what is now the Czech Republic, but during his time it was the Austrian Empire. He was a contemporary of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels in his lifetime. So that's something to consider. After Marx's death and after Engels' death, he was considered one of the top authorities on Marxism. And for a while there, Lenin viewed what he had to say positively. That's just a little background on where this polemic comes from. Chapter 1. How Kautsky turned Marx into a common liberal. The fundamental question that Kautsky discusses in his pamphlet is that of the very essence of proletarian revolution, namely the dictatorship of the proletariat. This is a question that is of the greatest importance for all countries, especially for the advanced ones especially for those at war, and especially at the present time. One may say without fear of exaggeration that this is the key problem of the entire proletarian class struggle. It is, therefore, necessary to pay particular attention to it. Kautsky formulates the question as follows. The contrast between the two socialist trends, that is to say, the Bolsheviks 
and non-Bolsheviks is the contrast between two radically different methods, the dictatorial and the democratic. Let us point out in passing that when calling the non-Bolsheviks in Russia, that is to say the Mensheviks and socialist revolutionaries, socialists, Kautsky was guided by their name, that is, by a word, and not by the actual place they occupy in the struggle between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. What a wonderful understanding and application of Marxism. But more of this later. For the moment, we must deal with the main point, namely, with Kautsky's great discovery of the fundamental contrast between democratic and dictatorial methods. This is the crux of the matter. That is the essence of Kautsky's pamphlet. And that is such an awful theoretical muddle, such a complete renunciation of Marxism, that Kautsky, it must be confessed, has far excelled Bernstein. The question of the dictatorship of the proletariat is a question of the relation of the proletarian state to the bourgeois state, of proletarian democracy to bourgeois democracy. One would think that this is as plain as a pikestaff, but Kautsky, like a schoolmaster who has become as dry as dust from quoting the same old textbooks on history, persistently turns his back on the 20th century and his face to the 18th century. And for the hundredth time, in a number of paragraphs, in an incredibly tedious fashion, choose the old cud over the relation of bourgeois democracy to absolutism and medievalism. It sounds just like he were chewing rags in his sleep, but this means he utterly fails to understand what is what. One cannot help smiling at Kautsky's effort to make it appear that there are people who preach contempt for democracy and so forth. That is the sort of nonsense Kautsky uses to befog and confuse the issue. For he talks like the liberals, speaking of democracy in general, and not of bourgeois democracy. He even avoids using this precise class term and instead tries to speak about pre-socialist democracy. This windbag devotes almost one-third of his pamphlet, 20 pages out of 63, to this nonsense, which is so agreeable to the bourgeoisie, for it is tantamount to embellishing bourgeois democracy and obscures the question of the proletarian revolution. But, after all, the title of Kautsky's pamphlet is The Dictatorship of the Proletariat. Everybody knows that this is the very essence of Marx's doctrine. And after a lot of irrelevant nonsense, Kautsky was obliged to quote Marx's words on the dictatorship of the proletariat. I was just wondering who Bernstein was in the fourth paragraph. He's referring to Edward Bernstein, and Edward Bernstein was a representative of social democracy in the Second International. His catchphrase was, the movement is everything, the goal is nothing. That was his quote-unquote analysis of Marxism. In my lifetime, I came across hundreds of Bernsteins in the New Left. I was active in mid-1960s. Students for a Democratic Society, and the New Left, led by Herbert Marcuse, who, by the way, was the prime teacher for Angela Davis, 
who was not a Marxist, Leninist at all. But those people, I met, I would say thousands, because I was very active all over the place in the 60s. And that's their philosophy. The movement is everything. What you're fighting for is not important. It's important that you're fighting, period. Not what you're fighting for. So what would that mean? That means that you could be fighting for a fascist movement, and the fact that you're doing that is better than if you're not doing any movement at all. I want to mention to everybody that this month is Lenin's month. The 22nd of April is Lenin's birthday. And let me tell you how the system covered it up. They made it officially about 40 years ago, Ecology Day or Environmental Day, officially. So every April 22nd, we celebrate fighting for a clean environment. But it was originally Lenin's birthday. They did the same thing with May Day, May 1st. They made Labor Day the day that workers should celebrate their labor. Every time I read this, I can't help but laugh at the way Lenin, his anger and his sarcasm towards Kautsky. It makes me wonder if Lenin was alive today, what kind of social media takedowns he would be doing, what his Twitter game would be like. On a more serious note, these takedowns, it shows how important it is to shout down these people who derail our revolutionary goals, these social democrats who opportunize off of the class anger we have, and they redirect it. It's important. We have to keep shouting that down. Also included in Lenin's analysis of Kotsky's opportunism here, when Lenin talks about Kotsky looking backwards, Lenin also wrote an article called The Differences in the European Labor Movement. And he talks about how there's a reactionary tendency among revisionists and opportunists to look backwards. It fits in nicely here. And he also outlines further on in other articles, and especially in his imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism, that opportunism and revisionism is also tied to the condition of the growth of capital, which was occurring around the time that he was writing this, as well as the crisis of capitalism, that there's a lull that can happen with the growth of capital that can cause certain elements within the movement to move towards right opportunism and that's adapting to bourgeois ideology. I never realized all the years I was in the party how important this was. At the old party, as they began turning to the right, basically it started after Comrade Stalin passed away, and Khrushchev came on the scene. Khrushchev changed it in relation to the Soviet Union. It went from dictatorship of the proletariat to a party of the whole people. And he was referring to the Soviet Union. Many communist parties followed suit and applied it to Marxism in general, when really Khrushchev was just talking about the Soviet Union. And that could be debated in itself, what he was saying. But he was not referring to the whole communist movement. He was referring to the Soviet Union at the time. And so in my years in the Communist Party, we never talked about dictatorship of the proletariat, never. It was till I left the party, and we had to leave the party because they had changed, that I started to read Stalin for the first time, and I began to see how much was denied me. The leadership of the party and the party ideology in the old party actually denied me and others the opportunity to read Comrade Stalin. So on the dictatorship of the working class, it is the line of demarcation. That's the term people should get off with this discussion. Lenin called it the line of demarcation, the separation between Marxist-Leninist and those who are non-NON, non-Marxist-Leninist in their analysis. So it's really between those two forces. From the right, where people who talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat, it's hardly ever mentioned at all. You never hear it in the social democratic deviations and the road that social democracy, the people that walk on that road, you'll never hear that term, dictatorship of proletariat. But from the left, it's just as bad. I want to mention this. From the left, 
identity of an individual. Some people call it identity politics. I rather call it, quote, identity of an individual seems to be more important than the collective term of class struggle. So the dictatorship of the proletariat is not even mentioned from the left. I'll give you a perfect example. Everyone knows today's Lenin's birthday. Well, go on the website, go on parties to the right and to the left, find out what they're talking about. The right wing, the DSA, guess what they're talking about today? It is the anniversary of Ecology Day, the environment. That's what they refer to as April 22nd, the birth of the modern ecology movement. Now let's go to the left. Workers' World, for example. You know who they're talking about today? It is Mumia's birthday. Mumia, if people don't know, is a black radical who was involved with a police shooting and he's been in prison and we're trying to free him. He has radicalized himself while he was in prison, just the way Malcolm X did. So he's very left today. But comrades, do we really think that Mumia is on the same level with the founder of our movement? Lenin is the founder of our whole movement for the last hundred years. And Workers' World chose today to talk about Mumia and the right wing like the CP. You know what they're talking about today? The Ecology Day. So I just want to make that clarification. When I was in Africa in high school, our understanding of the words of perfect countries embracing socialism and with the Soviet Union, our understanding was that in those countries that socialism had matured as a mode of production and that the industrial proletariat and the socialist revolution was in full force. But after the collapse of the Soviet Union, what really happened to the former Communist Party in those countries? Did they decline or they have the potential to rise up and establish the dictatorship of the proletariat in those respective countries? Because their economies are in bad shape. The young generation is very disillusioned. And I think that is going to be a potential for a class struggle in those countries because only 1% of the the populations are living in lavish privilege. So I don't think that's going to continue. So I would like your opinion about that. I'll give you some things that you have to understand. Anti-communism, some of them even fascism, like in Hungary and in Poland, have taken over. So you could understand that that would affect the work of those who are still communists. They're on the ground. That's number one. Number two, it was Stalin himself who said that whatever happens can be overturned. And there was a mistake made that said once socialism is at a mature stage, it can never be overturned. Well, history has proven that wrong. It can be overturned. And number three, when the famous quote from Marx, after the Paris Commune was overthrown, Marx said very clearly that our movement is like an ebb and a tide and the ocean. Stand by the beach. The waves come in and the waves go out. When they come in again, they come in further. Then they go out. And then at one point, the waves go out and they keep going out and out and out. Then they come in again. I often forget that analogy that current Marx get. That's what has happened in the current situation. I have confidence, and we should all have confidence in what Comrade Marx said, that it's going to change again and the ebb is going to go out. And I see it happening. In this country, the attitude to socialism is on the advance. I notice a lot of opportunism and stuff. I feel like coming from the left of us, they'll use our terms. They'll call themselves communists, but they won't speak of things like the dictatorship or the proletariat. And they'll advocate for like a direct democracy, and they won't believe in the vanguard party. But yet they'll use our language and call themselves communists, but they're not listening to what Marx actually stated. Friedrich Engels. On the 20th anniversary of the Commune of Paris, he wrote an introduction to the new edition of Karl Marx's Civil War in France, his great book about the Commune. And I want to read the last couple of lines. Of late, the social democratic Philistines has once more been filled with wholesome terror at the words, dictatorship of the proletariat. 
Well and good, gentlemen. Do you want to know what this dictatorship looks like? Look at the Paris Commune. That was the dictatorship of the proletariat. Engels, he wrote that on March 18th, 1891. It's pretty cool. Start the reading again. The way in which he, the Marxist, did it was simply farcial. Listen to this. This view, which Kautsky dubs contempt for democracy, rests upon a single word of Karl Marx's. This is what Kautsky literally says on page 20. And on page 60, the same thing is repeated, even in the form that they, the Bolsheviks, opportunely recalled the little word. This is literally what he says about the dictatorship of the proletariat, which Marx once used in 1875 in a letter. Here is Marx's little word. Between capitalist and communist society lies the period of the revolutionary transformation of the one into the other. Corresponding to this is also a political transition period in which the state can be nothing but the revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat. First of all, to call this classical reasoning of Marx's, which sums up the whole of his revolutionary teaching, a single word, and even a little word, is an insult to and complete renunciation of Marxism. It must not be forgotten that Kautsky knows Marx almost by heart, and, judging by all he has written, he has in his desk or in his head a number of pigeonholes in which all that was ever written by Marx is most carefully filed so as to be ready at hand for quotation. Kautsky must know that both Marx and Engels, in their letters as well as in their published works, repeatedly spoke about the dictatorship of the proletariat before and especially after the Paris Commune. Kautsky must know that the formula, dictatorship of the proletariat, is merely a more historically concrete and scientifically exact formulation of the proletariat's task of smashing the bourgeois state machine about which both Marx and Engels, in summing up the experience of the revolution of 1848, and still more so of 1871, spoke for 40 years between 1852 and 1891. How is this monstrous distortion of Marxism by that Marxist pedant Kautsky to be explained? As far as the philosophical roots of this phenomenon are concerned, it amounts to the substitution of sophistry for dialectics. Kautsky is a past master at this sort of substitution. Regarded from the point of view of practical politics, it amounts to subservience to the opportunists. That is, in the last analysis to the bourgeoisie. Since the outbreak of the war, Kautsky has made increasingly rapid progress in this art of being a Marxist in words and a lackey of the bourgeoisie in deeds until he has become a virtuoso at it. I have noticed, especially in the last few years, the uptick in social democratic opportunism. I think even a couple of years ago, Jacobin had an article about how we should be using Kautsky. We should be following the line of Kautsky over Lenin. 
seeing that along with people like AOC, who are definitely using their political power for opportunism. I just wonder how we can effectively combat against that. From what I understand of Lenin's perspective on this issue, it can be demonstrated to the working masses that this right opportunism is not the proper direction in its repeated failure and eventual submission to the bourgeoisie. I think if we are able to connect that the bourgeoisie and the state machine are fundamentally tied together and that reform within that machine is not going to alleviate the pain of capitalism, communicating that to workers, that a fundamental systematic revolution of the state apparatus is needed to truly build a worker's society. That reminded me of a quote, the distinction between dictatorship and democracy. This is from Soviet Democracy by Pat Sloan. Democracy, contrary to many illusory views, does not mean freedom of every kind. It means the rule of the people, and this means the suppression of the enemies of the people. Democracy, therefore, is also dictatorship as far as concerns those who reject the decisions of the people and combat these decisions by every possible means. Soviet democracy, without discipline, would have led to the complete defeat of the Soviet state during the Civil War from 1918 to 22. Democracy without discipline would have made the building up of the Red Army impossible, and it would have made the five-year plan an impossibility, for no great industrial progress could have been undertaken in the conditions of anarchy. To the minority of property owners, such a system has always been a ruthless dictatorship, but this dictatorship has been in the interests of the vast majority of the people and has therefore been essentially democratic. Democracy and dictatorship have never necessarily been mutually exclusive terms. Democracy for one class is dictatorship for the other. Right now we are in the dictatorship of capital where capital controls everything. And we want to abolish this order and replace it with the dictatorship of the proletariat. I want to mention this is a very important term. All my years in the Communist Party, I'll never forget what Gus said, Gus Hall. He was the general secretary who came into the communist movement under Stalin, but then with Khrushchev as the head of the party internationally. So he was affected by the anti-Stalin wave that went out through the international communist movement. But I'll never forget what he said. He said, the American people don't like that word dictatorship. And he's correct. Can't understand it. How are we going to explain it to them? The way Gus explained it to me, and it made total sense, is that you first have to say that the majority rule, the majority rule in every capitalist country is the ruling class, which is the 1%, the wealthiest of the wealthy. They control the newspapers. They control everything. Therefore, they are a dictatorship of the wealthy or a dictatorship of the capitalist or a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. What we need to do is to say we want the 99%, the working class, to be the rulers of society, and that's why we mean when we say dictatorship of the working class. I think the term dictatorship of the proletariat, I think for a lot of people who aren't really introduced to actual communist theory at all, they immediately hear the word dictatorship and automatically get turned off by it entirely. And I think that's the problem that we have today because any time totalitarian regimes are discussed, the word dictatorship is usually used. So people might get pictures of fascist right-wing leaders like Franco or Hitler and so I think the reason that a lot of leftists or so-called socialists or even so-called communist parties today out there exist that don't talk about is because they don't want to be seen as totalitarian, even though they obviously don't understand what the term dictatorship of the proletariat means at all. That's my own interpretation of what I think might be going on with that. I think that the parties that do use the term dictatorship sets apart the Marxist Leninist parties that actually understand the theory and the ones that don't. Because the ones that understand the theory understand that there is meaning behind that word. And it's not meaningless. It is complete control of the working class over the state machinery. 
And I think the parties that shy away from using that for merely optics very easily fall to other ploys by the bourgeoisie to weaken their message, weaken their theoretical mindset, and often fall to opportunism. I think that's what we saw happen with the CPUSA. I think that they fell to these ploys of trying to appeal and appeal and appeal to a bourgeois mindset when we should be focusing on changing that mindset, talking to the working class, because what we need to be doing is appealing to the people at the bottom that these things are necessary to improve their living conditions. What happened to Kowski after all of this? I wonder why someone like Kowski would do a 180, and what happened? Did it gain him benefits, or what? I believe that he changed at the outset of World War I in 1914, when he took the side of German imperialism, or rather the central powers imperialism, versus the British and French and Russian imperialism. That's when he became a rightist, from what I know. Kautsky was a member of the Social Democratic Party of Germany, right? Karl Kautsky was a member of the Social Democratic Party of Germany. Continue the reading, please. One feels even more convinced of this when examining the remarkable way in which Kautsky interprets Marx's little word about the dictatorship of the proletariat. Listen to this. Marx, unfortunately, neglected to show us in greater detail how he conceived this dictatorship. This is an utterly mendacious phrase of a renegade, for Marx and Engels gave us indeed quite a number of most detailed indications which Kautsky has deliberately ignored. Literally, the word dictatorship means the abolition of democracy. But, of course, taken literally, this word also means the undivided rule of a single person unrestricted by any laws, an autocracy, which differs from despotism only insofar as it is not meant as a permanent state institution, but as a transient emergency measure. The term dictatorship of the proletariat, hence not the dictatorship of a single individual, but of a class, ipso facto precludes the possibility that Marx in this connection had in mind a dictatorship in the literal sense of the term. He speaks here not of a form of government, but of a condition which must necessarily arise wherever the proletariat has gained political power. That Marx, in this case, did not have in mind a form of government is proved by the fact that he was of the opinion that in Britain and America, the transition might take place peacefully. That is to say, in a democratic way. We have deliberately quoted this argument in full so that the reader may clearly see the methods Kautsky, the theoretician, employs. Kautsky chose to approach the question in such a way as to begin with a definition of the word dictatorship. Very well, everyone has a sacred right to approach a question in whatever way he pleases. One must only distinguish a serious and honest approach from a dishonest one. Anyone who wants to be serious in approaching the question in this way ought to give his own definition of the word. Then the question would be put fairly and squarely. But Kautsky does not do that. Literally, he writes, 
the word dictatorship means the abolition of democracy. In the first place, this is not a definition. If Kautsky wanted to avoid giving a definition of the concept of dictatorship, why did he choose this particular approach to the question? Secondly, it is obviously wrong. It is natural for a liberal to speak of democracy in general, but a Marxist will never forget to ask, for what class? Everyone knows, for instance, and Kautsky, the historian, knows it too, that rebellion or even strong ferment among the slaves in ancient times at once revealed the fact that the ancient state was essentially a dictatorship of the slave owners. Did this dictatorship abolish democracy among and for the slave owners? Everybody knows that it did not. Kautsky, the Marxist, made this monstrously absurd and untrue statement because he forgot the class struggle. The way Lenin describes Kautsky reminds me of Noam Chomsky today, the way he describes him as a theoretician and this art of being a Marxist in words and a lackey of the bourgeoisie in deeds, this theoretician that the Western left loves to quote, and he has a lot of good things to say in his critiques of American imperialism, but he's so quick to throw socialist states, actually existing socialism, under the bus. I actually want to expand on that one on YouTube, Chomsky on Lenin, in my estimation, does a very poor job of somehow saying that Leninism is a right-wing deviation of Marxism, which falls directly in line with this idea that you need to liberalize Marx in order to get the fullest of his work, which actually the opposite is the case. You need to deliberalize Marx if you want to understand his work. All the Marxists, the people who call themselves Marxists today, aren't Marxists because there's no class analysis. And class analysis is fundamental to Marxism. And there is no Marxism without class analysis. And like Lenin remarked about Kautsky, Kautsky largely abandoned class analysis in his commentaries on democracy. I know that some leftists get really fundamental aspects of the class struggle wrong, but we obviously would agree with a lot of them more than we would with capitalists or fascists. So what is the roadmap for allying ourselves with people who call themselves socialists or Marxists, but who aren't quite where we're at? Let's go to what Lenin talks about, two things, unity of will and unity of action. Unity of action is the old way of talking about coalitions. In the 60s, we used the word coalition. So we can work with all kinds of people, including sections of the bourgeoisie, on an issue. We did that with the anti-fascist movement. We worked with sections of the bourgeoisie against the fascist sections of the bourgeoisie. Unity of will is something much stronger. We cannot work with them in a party. We can work with them on an issue, but not within the same party. And that's why Lenin's famous word, polemics, and I urge everybody to look at the word polemics and understand what it means. We can work with different groups of socialists and non-socialists in unity in action, but not unity of will. People should definitely read what is to be done. I think it definitely goes into another part of this, including the whole issue with Bernstein. Lenin talks about democracy for what class? And I think with the earlier question I spoke on about how do we meet these people in a rightward deviation, I really think nailing down the idea that we are in a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie or that in a class struggle, there is the class which oppresses and the class which is oppressed, and that that is expressed through the state and through that dictatorship of that oppressing class, and that there is, say, democracy for slave owners, but not democracy for the people. 
connecting that idea, I feel, is really crucial to getting people to see things from our Marxist-Leninist perspective. The line, liberals will always speak of democracy, but a Marxist will never forget to ask for what class. And that might be the best line I've ever heard read in one of these classes because that sums up almost incredibly why we're Marxist-Leninists. Of all the things going on right now, the liberal Democratic Party talking about democracy and all these other words that the progressive Democrats steal from us, they talk of democracy or whatever it is. And we should never, ever forget to ask for what class. And I, right. I remember going back to last week when I was bringing up how some of us are being called class reductionists, which is an absolutely asinine term. Class is so crucial to our theory, and I don't think it's reductionist to bring that up. It said in the reading, and I've read this before in other works, that Marx and Engels believed the transition to socialism could occur peacefully in the United States and Britain in their time. Based on the advancements that we've seen since then, do we believe that that would still be possible in these countries? Lenin kind of answered the comrade question here. At one time he said that Marx and Engels said that it could be a peaceful transition in England, outside the continent that is, that means England for him, and in America. And Lenin said, well, since Marx and Engels' time, things have changed tremendously, and the bureaucracy in England and in America, and mostly the military, has become monsters, and then there's no way they're going to go peacefully and let it go. That's what Lenin said somewhere, something like that. As Comrade Angela pointed out, there are people on the left or the ultra-left who, for example, Mao Zedong, 1960s onward, took on the position of Soviet social imperialism. This pamphlet generally also should serve not as just a warning for right opportunists, but also for people who, like Mao Zedong, took up an ultra-left position later on. The question which Kautsky has so shamelessly muddled really stands as follows. If we are not to mock at common sense and history, it is obvious that we cannot speak of pure democracy as long as different classes exist. We can only speak of class democracy. Let us say in parentheses that pure democracy is not only an ignorant phrase revealing a lack of understanding both of the class struggle and of the nature of the state, but also a thrice empty phrase since in communist society, democracy will wither away in the process of changing and becoming a habit, but will never be pure democracy. Pure democracy is the mendacious phrase of a liberal who wants to fool the workers. History knows of bourgeois democracy which takes the place of feudalism and of proletarian democracy, which takes the place of bourgeois democracy. When Kautsky devotes dozens of pages to proving the truth that bourgeois democracy is progressive compared with medievalism and that the proletariat must unflailingly utilize it in its struggle against the bourgeoisie, that in fact is just liberal nonsense intended to fool the workers. This is a truism, not only for educated Germany, but also for uneducated Russia. Kautsky is simply throwing learned dust in the eyes of the workers when, with a pompous mind, he talks about Whiteling and the Jesuits of Paraguay and many other things in order to avoid telling about the bourgeois essence 
of modern, that is to say, capitalist democracy. Kautsky takes from Marxism what is acceptable to the liberals, to the bourgeoisie, the criticism of the Middle Ages and the progressive historical role of capitalism in general and of capitalist democracy in particular, and discards, passes over in silence, glosses over all that in Marxism which is unacceptable to the bourgeoisie, the revolutionary violence of the proletariat against the bourgeoisie for the latter's destruction. That is why Kautsky, by virtue of his objective position, and irrespective of what his subjective convictions may be, inevitably proves to be a lackey of the bourgeoisie. Bourgeois democracy, although a great historical advance in comparison with medievalism, always remains, and under capitalism is bound to remain, restricted, truncated, false, hypocritical, a paradise for the rich, and a snare and deception for the exploited, for the poor. It is this truth which forms a most essential part of Marxist teaching that Kautsky, the Marxist, has failed to understand. On this, the fundamental issue, Kautsky offers delights for the bourgeoisie instead of a scientific criticism of those conditions which make every bourgeois democracy a democracy for the rich. Let us remind the most learned Mr. Kautsky of the theoretical propositions of Marx and Engels, which that pendant has so disgracefully forgotten to please the bourgeoisie and then explain the matter as popularly as possible. Not only the ancient and feudal, but also the modern representative state is an instrument of exploitation of wage labor by capital, Engels in his work on the state, as therefore the state is only a transitional institution which is used in the struggle, in the revolution, to hold down one's adversaries by force. It is sheer nonsense to talk of a free people's state, so long as the proletariat still needs the state. It does not need it in the interests of freedom, but in order to hold down its adversaries. And as soon as it becomes possible to speak of freedom, the state, as such, ceases to exist. Angles in his letter to Bebel, March 28, 1875. In reality, the state is nothing but a machine for the oppression of one class by another. And indeed, in the democratic republic, no less than in the monarchy. Angles, Introduction to the Civil War in France by Marx. Universal suffrage is the gauge of the maturity of the working class. It cannot and never will be anything more in the present-day state. Angles in his work on the state. Mr. Kautsky very tediously chews over the cud in this first part of this proposition, which is acceptable to the bourgeoisie. But the second part, which we have italicized and which is not acceptable to the bourgeoisie, the renegade Kautsky passes over in silence. The commune was to be a working, not a parliamentary body, executive and legislative at the same time. Instead of deciding once in three or six years 
which member of the ruling class was to represent and suppress the people in parliament, universal suffrage was to serve the people constituted in the communes as individual suffrage serves every other employer in the search for workers, foremen, and accountants for his business. Marx in his work on the Paris Commune, the Civil War, and France. Every one of these propositions, which are excellently known to the most learned Mr. Kautsky, is a slap in the face and lays bare his apostasy. Nowhere in his pamphlet does Kautsky reveal the slightest understanding of these truths. His whole pamphlet is a sheer mockery of Marxism. Take the fundamental laws of modern states. Take their administration. Take freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, or equality of all citizens before the law. And you will see at every turn evidence of the hypocrisy of bourgeois democracy with which every honest and class-conscious worker is familiar. There is not a single state, however democratic, which has no loopholes or reservations in its constitution guaranteeing the bourgeoisie the possibility of dispatching troops against the workers, of proclaiming martial law, and so forth. In case of a violation of public order, and actually in case the exploited class violates its position of slavery and tries to behave in a non-slavish manner, Kautsky shamelessly embellishes bourgeois democracy and omits to mention, for instance, how the most democratic and republican bourgeoisie in America or Switzerland deal with workers on strike. The wise and learned Kautsky keeps silent about these things. That learned politician does not realize that to remain silent on this matter is despicable. He prefers to tell the workers nursery tales of the kind that democracy means protecting the minority. It is incredible, but it is a fact. In the year of our Lord, 1918, in the fifth year of the world imperialist slaughter, the strangulation of internationalist minorities, that is to say, those who have not despicably betrayed socialism, like the Renaudels, Longuets, Schneidemans, and Kautskys, and the Hendersons, and Webbs, etc. In all democracies of the world, the learned Mr. Kautsky sweetly, very sweetly, sings the praises of protection of the minority. William Z. Foster wrote a book called The History of the Three Internationals. It talks about Bernstein and Kautsky. He goes into the material role that they played and how they fit in with the Second International during that time, which, by the way, lasted from 1889 to 1914. It dissolved after the start of the World War I, after the German Reichstag voted for war credits. I'm going to mention books that have been thrown in the garbage by the CPUSA. I was there when they did it. Their general secretary for 50 years was Comrade Gus Hall, who went to prison for six, seven years under the Smith Act because of his belief in communism. Also, one of three people who built the Steelworkers Union from scratch. Well, he wrote three books. One of them is called Basics. It was written in the 70s. The other one is called Imperialism Today, written in the 70s. They're both thick books. And the last book I'm recommending, Soviet Democracy, by Reverend Harry F. Ward, W-A-R-D, written in the 40s. The last thing I want to mention is Schneiderman, that was mentioned in the reading tonight, along with Kautsky. Schneiderman and Ebert were the people who headed the German Social Democratic Party. 
that built the Weimar Republic, and they were both responsible for the Freikorps, the right-wing Freikorps, killing Comrade Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht and throwing their bodies into the canal. And that's Schneiderman and Ebert, along with their ideology. And the last thing I want to mention is the word polemics. Please, we need to have polemic discussions with other groups in the left. Recommendation on getting the lesson of Germany. It's on New Outlook Publisher. It goes into detail about how the Social Democrats of the Weimar Republic helped pave the way towards the fascists. And I also want to recommend Michael Parenti's Left Anti-Communism, The Unkindest Cut. It goes into detail about people like Noam Chomsky and others who are on the left but bash communism. Referring back to the text we just read, we see Lenin criticizing Kotsky's devotion to bourgeois democracy, the necessity for the proletariat to use that in order to smash the political institutions and political power of the bourgeoisie at the time. However, I see a sort of contradiction with that and what he posits in his critique of the German left in Left Communism and Infantile Disorder, whenever he's stating that the position of the left communists at the time of bourgeois democracy being politically obsolete, he's criticizing both of those almost simultaneously. So what's the best way to approximate his exact position on that? I always compare keeping a Marxist-Leninist line to walking on a tightrope. You can't fall too much to the right and you can't fall too much to the left. And in this case, that's pretty much what Lenin's saying in both critiques. On one hand, you have Kautsky, who falls too much for right deviationism. And then on the other hand, you have left deviationists and ultra-leftists who essentially do not want participation in bourgeois parliaments and trade unions. So Lenin essentially prescribes that you tactically participate in bourgeois parliaments and trade unions, not deny participation in those organizations because that's how you reach workers and politically vested people. And by that token, he also says that you shouldn't invest so much into these institutions that you rely on them for revolutionary change because that's a mistake. This is a really good text. It's one of the first I ever read by Lenin. You can look to points in the things he's saying about Kautsky and Kautsky's right opportunism, falling off the right side of that tightrope that we're supposed to walk. And you can see that symptom for symptom, the same thing happened with the old CP. You can see that in their writings today. They apologize for the, quote, atrocities of Stalin and past dictatorships of socialist states about the state and revolution, which is very close to the Renegade Kautsky book. One of the big conclusions of Lenin in there is that the revolution will smash the bourgeois state and build a proletarian state, which is the dictatorship of the proletariat. But he says it's like a semi-state that will wither away, fade away. Well, that's true, but then in reality, when that happened, look at Stalin later on, he had to say, well, the fadeaway part, we're going to have to wait for it because we're surrounded by 14 countries that attacked us in civil war, Germany, Japan now in the 30s after the war is the U.S. with bases all around the USSR. I think in the United States and in the Western world today, we are going to see a lot more of this right-wing opportunism than we're going to be seeing of left communism being, I believe, a combater towards our Marxist-Leninist parties in those Western states. And within those Western states, trying to combat those arguments of, oh, well, we can just get this incrementally, or it's just reform after reform. But no, the real need is for that revolution. The whole concept of democracy really talk always makes it seem like democracy is something that just exists out there somewhere in the world. They hold on to this ideal of democracy and don't consider what it means for something to be democratic. They think that just because we can vote for people every four years, that makes us a democracy, whereas it doesn't matter because we can't choose who runs for office. I want to recommend Lenin's opportunism and the collapse of the Second International. 
his article, Opportunism and Questions of Organization, his article, Marxism and Revisionism, and his article, Differences in the European Labor Movement. And then I want to recommend Stalin's Industrialization of the Country and the Right Deviation in the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, Bolshevik. On the last reading, you might have caught a name, and the name he said was Longuet. And who was he? I guess who it was. Karl Marx's grandson. And he became a renegade. And his father was in the Commune of Paris. And yet, look what happened. Lenin talked about him all the time in many books. State and Revolution, Renegade Kautsky, and so on. Many, many books. Red diaper babies. This is the term we use for people who are communists when they have children. We use the term red diaper babies. And I want you to know the red diaper babies usually, I've met many of them in my lifetime, they usually fall in one or three categories. They either grow up as hating the party, and therefore they become apolitical. Number two, they grow up as ultra-leftists, usually Trotskyites or Maoists, because they want to be different from their mommy and daddy. Number three, they turn out to be ultra-rightists, like the Sky Horowitz, who his parents were in the party. He was active in SDS. Today he works for the conservative news media. So they fall in one of three categories. All three of them are no good. If you are in the party and you don't have any children, don't worry about it. You're not missing much. I want to point out how this chapter that we've just read especially towards the end where Lenin talks about what happens in parliamentary politics when the class of the exploited starts to wise up and starts to use the very framework of bourgeois democracy towards their own class ends. And he kind of outlines and he directly combats the very political line of the CPUSA in its peaceful transition to socialism. So I want everyone to read Sam Webb's Reflections on Socialism and contrast that with what we're reading tonight. And I think everyone will see clearly where the issue and what side the line of Sam Webb falls on here, which I think is squarely on Kotsky. Also, a quote from Stalin in 1925. It was about a year after Lenin's death. And he says, firstly, the transition itself from upsurge to lull by its very nature increases the chances of danger from the right, whereas an upsurge gives rise to revolutionary illusions and causes the left danger to become the principal one. A lull, on the contrary, gives rise to social democratic reformist illusions and causes the right danger to become the principal one. In 1920, when the working class movement was on the upgrade, Lenin wrote his pamphlet, left-wing communism and infantile disorder. Why did Lenin write this particular pamphlet? Because at that time, the left danger was the more serious danger. I think that if Lenin were alive, he would now write another pamphlet entitled right-wing communism and old age disorder. Because at the present time, in the period of lull, when illusions about compromise are bound to grow, the right danger is the most serious danger. In honor of Lennon's birthday, I wanted to share a poem from Langston Hughes titled Lennon. Lennon walks around the world. Frontiers cannot bar him. Neither barracks nor barricades impede, nor does barbed wire scar him. Lennon walks around the world. Black, brown, and white receive him. Language is no barrier. The strangest tongues believe him. Lennon walks around the world. The sun sets like a scar. Between the darkness and the dawn, there rises a red star. One thing that came up earlier in the conversation was the aversion to the term dictatorship of the proletariat, the focus on the word dictatorship. The quick response to that is, right now we live under the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Now, no matter what we get under their democracy, it's always a concession, usually overturned to the next change in the class representatives of the bourgeois class. 
So any perceived wins are always lost shortly thereafter, and it always results in the strengthening and the perpetuation of the rule of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie under pure democracy. That aversion is part of Kosciism. It is a part of the dominant bourgeois ideology, the ruling class ideology. So that's just one thing to keep in mind when people mention that wording to you, how it's a dictatorship. Beware of those in the left, especially those who claim to be revolutionary socialists. Beware of them who claim that they are followers of Lenin, and then they never bother to spend any time to actually educate their members and read Lenin. They don't do it. My feeling is those that run out to the street and do the work that needs to be done, which is protest, if they only do that and they concentrate on that, they are basically the people that are close to saying that the end result is not important. It's doing the movement that we heard about before earlier in the class that's important. And there are groups in the left that are very good at having protests, even if it's 10 people, 20 people, they're out there. But the movement is everything for them. And I'm wary of that. The other thing is that our eight points of unity for the PCUSA is very clear. And I haven't seen anybody able to argue against it. Especially only revolution has ever built real socialism. Through the ballot box, they've never done it. Never. We can use the past as a barometer of the future, and that's the past history for literally hundreds of years, going back to the Paris Commune. Only revolution has tried to build real socialism. The ballot box has never been able to do it. However, I want to warn those people who think that it's a struggle we don't need to do. We do. And Lenin does it. And again, I'm going to end recommending this book, Bolsheviks in the Tsarist Duma. The author is someone by the name of Badeyev. This comes out of the Bolshevik Party. And Lenin pushes this book. So we have to get involved in electoral politics, but only to reach people, not to be naive to think we're going to get socialism through elections. That includes through the Democratic Party. It'll never happen. The other thing is the word polemics. Please look up the definition of the word. Understand we need to have polemics with other groups. I want to thank everybody for showing up tonight. And I hope people are learning something. That's the whole purpose of the People's School. So that we come away from a class that we learned something that we didn't know before. Even if it's a little thing. With that, I want to thank everybody for coming and say goodnight, comrades. Thank you for watching this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. For more information, or if you're interested in attending classes, visit our website, check out our YouTube channel, or email info at psmls.org.